From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 203 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. Are you, is that, are you munching on uh, some of your leftover Halloween candy? Oh, no, no, no. I uh, I have not really been big on eating a lot of candy this year, but I have made a lot of Halloween cookies and uh, and I took some of my extra Monster Mash cereal that I bought because I bought way too much and I made and made those into like cereal bars with marshmallows oh like Rice goodness. Krispies and uh, my mom brought over cookies and I I have just been like weighed down in all these other sweets that I look at all the candy and I'm like, yeah, it's why why have the candy when I can just have all these delicious baked goods? Wow, you're very industrious. I'm impressed. I'm also <laughs> a lot heavier than I was last week. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't have all of that. And I've only eaten two pieces of Halloween, well, three pieces of Halloween candy. Mm. So I feel very good with that. But I have, yeah. I have a bit in the closet, though. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, even though we're in November, we're going to go back in time in this episode. Uh, we're going to go back all the way to September, because on September 9th through 11th in 2021, Give Kids the World hosted the first Diz Family Reunion, which was an expo or a Destination D-like event um, with hosted panels, special entertainment of Walt Disney World favorites like Off Kilter and Yeehaw Bob, amongst several others. There were vendors. There was an auction benefiting Give Kids the World that was very successful. There was a Div- Diz Unplugged live broadcast that I was honored to be a part of. And in this episode, I'm going to share what I learned from the panels that I attended. And there was absolutely no way that I could attend all the panels because there was just too much going on. So I attended a few of them. And so I was uh, feverishly taking down notes. So I thought I would uh, I'll share some some of those with you who couldn't be there or who were there and uh, maybe maybe um, want their memories refreshed. Yeah. Sad. And Craig, you were too busy. So I, did you get to any panels? Uh, not a single one. No, I oh. was, I was working the entire time on, you know, on the Saturday por- or Friday portion. Cause it was Friday, Saturday. So the, the Friday portion, I was busy just talking to everyone who, who came to the event. And like, I, 
I think I had no voice basically by the end of that day. And then Saturday we had our, our six hour show that we did throughout the day. And so I spent the entire morning before everyone even showed up, uh, putting together all the equipment and then did the entire show and then broke it all down and, uh, basically had a couple moments to breathe. And then we went off to, to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. And I am I even wrong about those? Was it Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday? I think it was Saturday. Was the Galaxy's Edge event? Yeah, I don't because I went that. to Epcot <laughs> during the day. Yeah, I, it's literally it all blends together. I think the event was on Thursday and Friday. Now that I think about it, and then we yes. had a break, and I had all day Saturday to kind of rest and rejuvenate, and then Saturday night was Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I where's the calendar at when you need one? <laughs> <laughs> On your phone. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it was it was great fun. So, um, but so it started out on the ninth. Uh, they started out with a little musical group. They called themselves Return to Zero. They were an acapella group of volunteers. They were terrific, but they used to be called Four for a Dollar at the Disney MGM Studios, if you remember them. And uh, Mark Daniels was the host, and they uh, they ha- they showed a video that focused on a Wish family that sort of told the story and purpose of Give Kids the World and the impact that they have on the Wish families and, and the children. And then President and CEO Pamela Landsworth of Give Kids the World was there. And she talked about the village, you know, what it means to family. She showed photos of Wish families. And then Kellen, who was a, a three-year-old for, um, he was three years old, I think, um, for his Wish trip. He came up and um, he t- sort of told his story. Cause, and his wish was to meet Mickey Mouse. And um, he's 10 years old now. And so his the first kiss that he got when he was three was from Elsa. And now he's an artist and he and what he was doing there, he was selling his art at in the vendors um area to uh benefit Give Kids the World. And so that was very cool. He was a very articulate yeah. young boy too. I, I, I was say, very impressed. Yeah, I did uh pop in. The only thing I technically did see was this uh the beginning once pam came on stage because we had we had heard from our part of like the expo room that that pam was about to go on so i stepped away so i could uh hear what she had to say because she always of course delivers just the most uh heart-wrenching tear-inducing stories and uh, she didn't let it down but yeah then to to see him come up on stage and then he was right across from our booth the entire time that we were there. So uh, it was, yeah, what an adorable kid. And mm-hmm. just, you know, he, he's going to be doing PR for Give Kids the World for a long time, I'm sure. Oh, he already was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, most definitely. So the first panel that I attended, it was Stories from Disneyland's Opening. And it was with Tom Nabby, Bill Holscher, and Bill Sullivan, most people call him Sully Sullivan. And the host was Jeff Barnes, whom we had, I think, on the Disneyland show. I don't know if you ever had him on Connecting with Walt. I believe we did. We I don't did. remember okay. what he talked about. I but... don't, probably about his book. 
Yes. Wisdom of Walt. That would make sense. And then more Wisdom of Walt. And he's working on some other projects. I chatted with him at his booth later on during the, the days and all that. And now he's working on some others. Well, Tom, Bill, and Sully are all what are called 55ers. They worked at Disneyland in 1955, and they were instrumental in the opening of Walt Disney World 50 years ago. So the Jungle Cruise was the um, only attraction that did not break down at Disneyland on its opening day. And so uh, Tom enjoyed the – he said that he enjoyed the new movies – and he said he thought that the uh, puns were so-so. But for him, the, um, the movie, the Jungle Cruise movie, did not bring back any memories. Bill uh, thought that the film was better than he expected. So um, now they talked about how did, how did um, they get their start at Disney. And Tom said he started working a Sunday paper route. And they and he sold um, extra papers. He would always get some extra papers, and he sold them to the Disneyland construction workers in the morning. And so he was able to sell Disneyland papers when the park opened, and because Disneyland had their own um, papers, their own newspaper in the beginning. So if he sold one hundred papers outside, then he would be able to get permission to sell them on Main Street. So by the end of the summer, and, and so he, of course, managed to sell them outside. And the papers were always about what was going on in the park and, you know, little uh, articles about, you know, events and the attractions all that. And I, I think Marty Scalar was pretty much writing the articles. And by the end of the summer, he found out that Walt was going to build Tom Sawyer Island. And since he looked like Tom Sawyer because he had red hair and freckles and all that, which is how Tom is described in the books, he asked Walt to hire him to be Tom Sawyer. And he was persistent. So, uh, so he, every time he saw Tom or saw Walt, he would sort of bring it up with him. And Dick Nunes found him one day in the Penny Arcade. And because sometimes after he was done selling his papers, Tom would go to the Penny Arcade and spend some of his money on the little games and things that were in there. And he told him to come with him. And he met with Walt and Bill Evans. And he was hired as Tom Sawyer. So um, now Bill, Bill Holscher, he got his start um, he had a sister who was living in Garden Grove, California, and he came, um, he, his home was in, I think he said Missouri, and she told him that he should, he came out to visit. She told him that he should work at um, Disneyland. So he came out to California and he became a busboy and he worked in Fantasyland. And he got, um, he, he always, he joked, he always got Sully's old job when Sully got promoted. So Sully watched the opening day of Disneyland on television and he was working in the aircraft industry at Northrop and he went out to Disneyland the next day and he got a job working on the Jungle Cruise. So, uh, and apparently he got hired there because there were a lot of people from Northrop who already had been hired at Disneyland. So, um, so that helped a bit. So 
They said that the first three to four years of Disneyland were a struggle. And they were asked, what was it like? And Tom said, I was only 12 years old. And remember, he's, he's working as Tom Sawyer. So he said, I was the, I was the envy of everyone. People used to come to Disneyland dressed up. He said men wore suits, ties, hats, women dresses. He said it was very busy in the summer, but not on rainy days or in the winter. So everyone was learning on a daily basis. And he learned how to be a good manager by watching other people. So Sully said that in 1956, everyone was flying by the seat of their pants. The park didn't start making money until 1959. Um, it was being supported by the studio until then. And of course, in 1959 is when they had the big opening of the monorail, you know, the Matterhorn bobsleds and the submarine voyage. So now Tom said that you could fish off the piers across from Mark Twain. Mark, the Mark Twain landing. And so there were 15 fishing poles with lines and corks. And so the rivers of America was stocked with bluegill, catfish, and trout. And at first it was catch and keep. And he had to clean the fish for the guests. Then it was catch and release. So that, and he had, it was his job. One of his jobs was to debarb all the hooks. That's not a glamorous job by any means. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) And so Bill, um, you know, it was asked, how did you go from being a busboy to running the preview center of Walt Disney World? And he said, well, when kids went back to school, Disneyland was empty um, because there was no money for advertising. So Disneyland started to train people to move up in the management. So... The World's Fair got um, Disneyland more advertising. And so Sully was working on Project X and how a new park could be improved. So, uh, for instance, building tunnels beneath the park, um, buying enough land so they could own everything, like hotels, restaurants, etc. Because Disneyland was a $50 million operation, but by... Um, but it was, it was, but in expanding the area, the, but the, oh, but the surrounding area around Disneyland made 10 times that amount. So Tom enlisted in the Marine Corps when the World's Fair and, um, and during Walt Disney's passing. So afterwards, he went back to Disneyland and they were interviewing for Project X, which of course was the time Disney World. And he had worked all the attractions at Disneyland, except for all the Retlaw-owned attractions, which was, you know, the monorail and the trains. And that was because if you worked for Retlaw, they had height and weight requirements. And um, he didn't meet those height and weight requirements because he tended to be a bit short and stocky. And Retlaw were more tall and athletically built people you know, men at the young men at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so he, but at Walt Disney world, he was hired to work on the monorails. So Sully's first visit to the area, it was, and it was all swamp. And so he came in through the back gate at Walt Disney world and got lost. And so Lillian Disney, he said, thought it was the worst people Worst piece of property Walt had ever bought. 
So, but she loved Epcot Center. <laughs> so, um, so there, so then there was a Q and A with, um, from the guests and they asked in the off hours, where did you like to hang out? And Tom said Newport Beach to surf. That was a real big theme of his. He was a surfer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Bill said Tom Sawyer Island. And and at the exit of uh, Space Mountain to help elderly ladies get quickly to to um to where to uh to to get off the exit quickly to help them because if you didn't get if they didn't hurry up they they had to go on the ride again that's what he would tell them <laughs> so. <laughs> And um and and Sully said he liked to hunt and fish. That's what he did in his time off. Checks and out. then they yeah. And then they asked about what were their favorite legacy attractions. Tom said uh, Country Bear Jamboree. He loved Big Al. Bill said he liked Peter Pan because it had great visuals. And Sully, it was Mister Toad's Wild Ride. And then they asked if they had any stories about the monorail. And Tom said U.S. Steel built the Contemporary, the Polynesian, and the Golf Resort. And and to check the monorail track, he had to get through U.S. Steel security, he said, which took hours. So he'd just walk the beam in order to check out the the monorails. Now, after I heard this and I rode the monorail because I was staying at Bay Lake Towers, and I looked at the width of that beam. I thought I would be scared to death to yeah. walk that beam. Can you imagine? I, I cannot, <laughs> but I mean, that's like any construction. When I see construction workers at any heights, I I'm, I just don't understand how they're mm-hmm. doing it. He said the only time he didn't walk the beam was when there were thunderheads, oh, which was understandable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little understandable. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, um... They asked if there was a, an opening of a ride or attraction that didn't go as planned. Bill said Walt Disney World's opening day, the tractors that pulled the trams could not go up the hill. And that's a, that's a real uh, notorious story yeah. where the trams all broke down because of that to the park, the parking lot trams. So, yeah, um, I mean, and that's clearly why they're still not back here at Walt Disney World now. They're still trying to fix them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They must have the same excuse at Disneyland, too, <laughs> which, you know, running the flat surface yeah. from the parking garage I mean, to downtown Disney. At least yours have a estimated date of return. <laughs> yes. Um, well, that's because at Disneyland, I think the, the guests were near rioting yeah. with all the other problems with magic keys yeah. and all that stuff. It's a long stuff. walk. It's a long walk yeah. at Disneyland. It is a long walk. Well, it is too. If you're parked way out there at the Magic Kingdom, you know, transportation ticket and transportation center, that can be quite a walk. Yeah, you have to be about as far as possible. But I, I have been unlucky enough to do the Disneyland walk one time, uh, just because I was like, I can't wait for the tram. I'll just walk. It can't be that long. Mm-hmm. I was like, jeez, oh, I should have just waited for the tram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Tom said that there were supposed to have been six monorails. For the opening day of Walt Disney World, they only had four. And normally out of the four, one was usually broken. So they, 
and they switch so that they can go forward and reverse. But he said the switches wouldn't work. So they had to drive a train in reverse all day. Oh, man. (laughs) And they said, how did you keep the magic all these years? Tom said it was just intrinsic. He grew up with it because... um, you know, because advertising was just word of mouth. In Van France's training, they learned that they were carrying on Walt's vision. Sully said um, that Walt said, I don't worry about what guests say when they go in. I worry about what they say when they go out. And that's how he maintains the magic. Yeah. And And Bill said, you just have to finish the fun. You, or you have to find the fun, I should say. I can't read my own writing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I do like that quote from Walt. Yeah. I wish um, people who run the parks now would um, maybe have that plastered somewhere. Yeah, that's so they a, could see it. You know, leave that one up above the office door on your way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that was it for that panel. It was a good panel. Yeah, it sounded nice. So, yeah. The next one that I attended was the Attractions Actor Panel. That was with Ron Schneider, David um, Danapur, Kat Cressida, and um, they all, of course, all worked on like World of Imagination, Flight of Passage, and The Haunted Mansion. So, um, of course, Ron Schneider, a lot of a lot of us know, he's the original Dream Finder. David Danapur, I think that's how he pronounces his name. He's Dr. Stevens in the Flight of Passage. He clears us uh, of the parasites. Yes, and uh, um, um, uh, uh, Fly? Fly? That's the, He's most known for the fact that that Flight of Passage intro with him is just like he stammers all the way through it. And they wanted oh. him to do that. Like <laughs> he didn't quite know what he was supposed to say to all these groups coming in. Oh, okay. I think he talks about that in this. So, um, and then there's Kat Cressida. Of course, she's um, she's done a ton of stuff. Like she in Woody's Roundup, she does Jesse and more. Of course, we, she's probably most well known as Constance Hatchaway in the Haunted Mansion. But she's done all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah. So they say, how did each of you find out about the project? Well, Ron Schneider said he was working at the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland and he attended a seminar at the University of Disney that was being held by Tony Baxter about careers. And he talked about Dreamfinder and Figment, who were in development at the time. And Ron wanted to be Dreamfinder the moment he heard about it and he pursued it. And that's how he got the position. David was an, as an actor, he just auditioned for everything for his height and appearance. So he went to an audition for a grad student for a theme park. And after a couple of months, he got a call back and then he got the job. So Kat was already working in Imagineering. She had had worked with on Tower of Terror and as Jessie the Cowgirl, and they were looking for a girl in their 20s and blonde. And of course, she was in her 30s and not blonde. So casting told her they wanted someone who understood classic attractions, and they kept stressing 
classic dark rides. And after three callbacks, and it was a very long process before the final um, callback for that one. So, um, so anyway, and some of her other, oh, they showed her, um, her cat's work video. She's the little girl lost in the Tower of Terror. They showed her in Jesse and Woody's Roundup and in Toy Story Midway Mania. And then they showed her work in, as Constance Hatchaway in the Haunted Mansion. And that was, that was cute to see all of that. Yeah. So, and she said that each one was a different process and she, the, she had been um, voice matching Joan Cusack on several projects, and that was her start. Her start was being the yodeler for in uh, for Jesse, and so she voiced several tracks for Tower of Terror that were not used. And for the mansion, she just tried to make it sound classic, whilst um, sounding sort of sexy and spooky at the same time. David said he had a background in sciences. So, so he went, he'd gone to grad school and he knew how grad students get excited. So they had to dub the whole thing over due to a technical issue and they wanted him to inflect. This is what you were saying, Craig. They wanted him to inflect certain words like, uh, and, um, and Joe Rohde kept saying, I love it. I love what you're doing. <laughs> and, um, Ron said, hmm. Uh, it, it's just it's hilarious that like that that's something that Joe Rody actually liked because we all hold Joe on such a high pedestal for his taste and and you know how he sees and envisions parks. But that pre-show is one of the worst things that Walt Disney World has ever had, and well, see, everyone I could just see laughs it. at it. I could see an over-enthusiastic young grad student just sort of stumbling over his words and stuff. I thought it was very believable. You you are very kind to it, because <laughs> most people are not. <laughs> oh, well, see, well, I was a teacher, so I'm sort of used to that kind of stuff. I do, And I do it myself on this show sometimes. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, okay, Ron said... Uh, Joe Rohde was the model for Dream, the Dreamfinder audio animatronic. And he had played him in a game in the upstairs area when they had all those games, A Journey into Imagination. Um, Ron was an actor and he was, he sat, he was sent down to uh, Tony Baxter and Barry um, Braverman at WED. And he talked him through who Dreamfinder was and what the attraction was and the pavilion's message. And he wanted to communicate all this as a walk around character. So he got to play with people and to give them a lesson. And his goal was to make it look like there were two minds at work with the figment puppet. So he spent a lot of time in a mirror and uh, practicing having him look at people without Ron looking at figment. So the, he said the puppet was well made and he had to hold his elbow and his hand very uncomfortably. And he showed some photos and videos of sort of him and you know, interacting with people where you could see figments interacting and looking at guests when, and Ron's looking away like at another guest. And so, so he really, he did get it down really well. So, um, 
Now, Kat, like I said, did work with Imagineering, and she would go to Disneyland every weekend. And um, so her idea of a good time was sharing uh, sort of behind the scenes about the AA figures that she was for. Oh, her I say her father's dad worked at Imagineering. And so they would go to Disneyland every weekend. So his idea of a good time was sharing the behind the scenes oh. about the audio animatronic figures when she was four years old. Oh, wow. So it was um, five times. It said it took five tries before she went on the haunted mansion. <laughs> and then, but it was 12 years old before she opened her eyes. And it, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> My granddaughter was sort of that way too. Yeah. So, now, Ron wrote a book um, from from Dreamer to Dreamfinder, which which I bought there. He autographed it for me, and he said, "What keeps us at Disney is the immersiveness in the story, um, and our reaction to it, and our feelings and our thoughts, and that the guest is the star of the show, and this is what fascinated him." He said, we are never given a dream without the power of making it true. And it's up to us to do it. And that that's the message of Dreamfinder. And I thought that was very nice. Yeah, that one is uh, that's very inspirational. Very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was a very, very fun um, panel. I bet. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. The next one was um, Common Sense Leadership with Lee Cockrell and Dan Cockrell. And the host, again, was Jeff Barnes. I think Jeff was pretty much the host for this um, this room yeah. where the panels were. And I also found out that we we did have him on the old Disneyland show. You interviewed him for the first Wisdom of Walt book. And then on Connecting with Walt in 2019, we interviewed him for uh, the second book. More wisdom of all. Okay, great. Well, there's another interview someday we'll bring over from the Disneyland show sometime. So, okay. Now, Lee said he started his career in the hotel business and he um, grew up dirt poor. And in, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to read what I wrote here. I want to say Arkansas, but um, he said there was no indoor plumbing. Um his, you know, his, uh, I don't know, his um, father's, I think his father's wife, no, his mother, I think, married five times. And uh, and he was adopted twice. And Cockrell was from his um, mother's um, third husband. So, and, and he flunked out of college. <laughs> so, okay, so talk about <laughs> a rough start. Yeah, I googled it real quick, and it says Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Okay, yeah. thank you. Okay, yeah, that does look like a no. So still, in there, so. yeah, you were correct. You. Rough start. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he went with a friend to Washington D.C. to the opening of a Marriott, and so he got a job as a waiter, and he got into the management trainee program, and he said he had a good attitude. And his future wife was in the office next to him. And so, I, and I think the way it worked is how they met was, I think his office had the pencil sharpener. And so she would always come into his office to sharpen the pencil. It was something like that. The old so, days. Yeah, yeah. 
So they got married and they joined Hilton. And then he was recruited by Disney to go to France for, um, to open Euro Disneyland at the time. And then, uh, and then he came to Walt Disney World. And, uh, and then they made it very clear that Daniel got all his promotions after Lee left in 2006. So, um, so Dan's first job was in the college program at the Contemporary. And then he went back to school for two years and he played rugby and he had a political science degree. And he uh, was cast at Walt Disney World. So, so he goes back to Walt Disney World, you know, with all of this and a political science degree and all this stuff. And they cast him as a parking lot attendant. <laughs> so, Typical. I know. I was thinking, I was thinking you were going to say that. Yeah. And, um, he met his wife in the laundry room when they had to do their laundry. That's and so. Yeah. So he went to Paris and, you know, there to, you know, work at Euro Disneyland. And I was, what do you think they have him do? Parking cars. Of course. <laughs> so, so he stayed for five years and the visa was about to expire. So he finally married his girlfriend because, you know, the, that he met in the laundry room, she was on the college program, but she was from France. <laughs> So, um, so then they stayed for another three years. So, um, and he's, and so some of the rules that they, that they have for, that he has for leadership in his book was one, take care of yourself. You can't take care of other things if you aren't good to yourself. Um, two, it's about leading a team. And then next one is leading organizations. And the next is leading change. You have to be an active participant in your own story. And they're both, they're really big proponents of keeping a journal and, um, which is interesting. So, uh, at first people didn't like working with Lee as a manager because he was a task manager, but he got things done. So he, he didn't have a college degree. He came from a dysfunctional family and he lacked self-confidence. So, and, and he said that anyone who raises their voice and tries to intimidate you is insecure. And so he had to work his way through this and he had to take courses and then he started to have successes and he grew more confident. And he says, keep in mind, what do you want to be remembered for? And because the only thing you can leave behind is your legacy. And then Dan said, um, what do you think you're remembered for after being, um, VP of all four parks. And when he comes on um, property, people will tell him that he was always there for them. So, um, so, and so that's a nice thing to be remembered for. I, from your team members. Yeah. I mean, I, I read Lee's book. I haven't read Dan's, but, uh, I've not read Dan's. I have to pick it up. Yeah. I thousand percent though, just from, uh, talking to them before. Well, actually, and we have something hopefully coming in the future with, uh, them on this show, but, uh, just really respectful people in terms of, uh, the way they speak, uh, their, the way they just, they exude leadership. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, you get captivated 
by the way they talk. Uh, I I don't think they're the type of people who really uh, blow smoke and are just putting on a show for for books and tours. I think they actually really really get what they're talking about oh they do and they put it into their personal lives as well what i didn't capture because you had to sort of be there for it was the back and forth they had as father and son mm-hmm. and 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 lee also being grandfather to dan's children and that back and forth too because you know lee has his thoughts about how to take care of the grandchildren that a little different from Dan and his wife's mm-hmm. and 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 to see that back and forth but that respect that's there and all of that too that um they had like uh you know there was a story where oh gosh I forget what it was I think one of Dan's um 16 year olds was late for curfew and um he goes to Lee <laughs> he goes to <laughs> Lee's house doesn't go home to Dan and his wife, and uh, and Lee says, "Okay, first of all, you have to tell me the truth. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to back you up or anything, I've got to know what the real story is here as to why you're late." Told him, and it was something as simple as he was he got to talking with his date, and they just sort of lost track of time. Yeah, and you know, it was all very innocent. And so he said, okay, so he, um, so you, you, you were in the company of a beautiful lady and you lost, and you lost track of time. He said, that is a very understandable thing. And so then they went over to dance. He said, okay, you're going to spend the night here. I'm going to call your dad. And then we're going to all talk about this tomorrow. And I, I just thought it was just lovely how it was just all handled. Yeah. And all of that. And so, but it sounds like, uh, sounds like the grandkids go to Lee's house <laughs> a lot. <laughs> he so, definitely uh, gives off that, uh, that pleasant grandpa vibe for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Dan seems to be comfortable with it. Yeah. Too. I so, agree. which is nice because some parents might not be as, accepting of that mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. so but so which shows then that there's a trust you yeah. know between father and son there mm-hmm. too so so then there were some questions from the audience um what will the 50th anniversary of walt disney world mean for you lee says walt disney world changed our whole family life um you know, he said Daniel worked for Walt Disney World first. Lee was at Marriott. Um, Daniel told him training was better at Walt Disney World. The attention to detail here is mind boggling. If you expect more, you get more. So let's hope that's still true. Yeah. Um, Daniel said his wife worked at Walt Disney World before he and Lee did. He said, we are stewards and we create experiences for families. No one owns this place and people move in and out. Um, we're extremely proud to be associated with Disney. So uh, another in a Q&A, sort of what's the difference between problems and dilemmas? Um, dilemmas, you do the best you can and you learn from the mistakes. Problems can be solved. Um, don't, and he says, don't tell a child what to do. Give them options and have them talk to lots of people. We always did that with our kids. We would give them options. We'd give them choices. I, a lot of times I would make sure one option was 
really terrible. <laughs> like it really wasn't <laughs> the one I wanted them to select, but it was an option. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so anyway, but, um, but I, th- I think that is good advice. And that was pretty much it for that panel. That's what I have written down here. And that was it for the day then. So then the next day was, um, I went to, uh, Let's see here. It was, uh, oh, the host was Tony Shepard. Oh, this was great. The host was Tony Shepard. He's client talent relations for Disney. And he was interviewing the Wheel of Fortune. It, it, it was titled Wheel of Fortunate Wisdom with Pat Sajak. And I think our first reaction, even when you and I first talked about this thing, was what does Pat Sajak have to do with Disney besides, you know, the Disney weeks that they have throughout the year on Wheel of Fortune? I have to tell you, this was one of the most entertaining panels I have ever attended. Pat Sajak seems like such a nice down to earth guy that you could have him over for dinner, talk about anything and have a great time. And he would have a great time as well. He seemed to have no airs about him or anything like that. So um, he was great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. clearly I, I missed it, but got to hear a little bit you know well not a little bit of it all of it when he was a guest on our our marathon show that day but i i was you know you expect a tv person to always be on but he yeah i kind of got the impression that it wasn't even on it was just a very personable person yeah just very relaxed you know he could walk into your front room and sit down and just start chatting and you know, you, it would be just a very natural conversation. He didn't seem full of himself. He seemed very humble about how lucky he was to be, you know, have the job that he's had all these years. Yep. Understandable. You know, yeah. And, um, yeah. And a lot of, a lot of celebrities just are not that way. So anyway, he's about to start the 40th year of hosting Wheel of Fortune and he's in the Guinness um, book for the world's longest game show host. I think it's, I think they said it's in the United States. There's a fellow in England or something that's a little longer or something. And he had a great rapport with Tony Shepard. They had this great back and forth a lot of times, a lot of it around Tony Shepard's clothes, which I don't know if you saw Tony Shepard <laughs> when he came over for the live show, but Tony Shepard, you notice what he's wearing when he walks into a room. Yes. Very, very bold. <laughs> yes. That's the word bold. So, um, he said it's still fun, but it gets more challenging because he needs to keep it fresh for guests and audiences. And he started out, he was doing his, he was, he was a weatherman in Los Angeles and Chuck Woolery hosted the show for seven years and he left. And Merv Griffin, who was the producer, contacted Pat and asked him the host because he liked Pat's sort of jokes and pat a pat and all of that on the, um, on the show. Cause Pat would do sort of goofy things as the weatherman and Merv Griffin liked it. So, so Merv wrote 
oh, Merv Griffin wrote the theme song, and it um, and it was for the show, and it is a it was a huge income stream for him. So uh, he said that they don't have a tournament of champions like other game shows because so much of it is based on luck. So he said he has empathy for guests and he helps them to get through with their dignity intact. And if, because if they make a mistake, they're targets for social media and, and AM disc jockeys. And so he helps them get through it. So he said there's not a lot of prep. He knows the rules and he knows the alphabet and he does not meet the players in advance so that it's fresh. He gets a card on each player and he says they tape six shows in one day. So, um, so they have to um, change the show to keep it new, but not so, so much that it alienates long-term fans. So he said this season they've brought back the original theme and he no longer does the final spin. The contestant whose turn it is, um, when the sound goes off, now does the final spin. I'm not sure if that's what I would <laughs> necessarily call keeping it uh, fresh, just a little change like that. But if that's what's good enough for them, then absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So um, he says um, Vanessa or Vanna, I should say, is like Pat. She takes the show seriously. She takes her job seriously, but she does not take herself seriously. So and he was asked, why is this show successful? He said he's not sure. He said, we're playing hangman. He said, some, you know, somewhere along the line, we became a part of people's lives, a part of popular culture. He said, it's a throwback show. It's a refuge and comfortable. No one's voted off or humiliated. You know, yeah. he said, and yeah, and, and, like most shows are now. You know, yeah. uh, I, I just think that the biggest part of it is, you know, with something like Jeopardy, which I love. You have to know the information to play and try to beat everyone else on it. But with Wheel of Fortune, at the end of the day, you can sit there screaming letters at your TV all you want. Uh, unless they pick them, you are playing along with the contestants. So their mm -hmm. success is what allows you to play. And because of that, it's just it's I, I think it's more I don't want to say more fun, but it's just it's easier to access than tougher game yeah, shows. And Carol and I would play along with each other during it. Like what letters did we guess? What do we think it is? And then you have such empathy for a player. You know, they're good at the game, but every time they spin that wheel, it's lose a turn. Yeah. Lose a turn, <laughs> bankrupt. I was, yeah. I was and watching I, the celebrity oh. version a month or so ago. And that kept happening to, I think it was Jeff Garland, the dad from Goldberg's and the captain from Wally -E and a million other things. Uh, yeah. It just, sometimes players just have that look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I know Pat feels so sorry for them when that happens. So. But um, and he said players are all types, all ethnicities, um, from all walks of life, and they're from all over the country. And he said it's a pretty well-oiled machine. They started about twelve noon, and by six p.m. they have done six shows and lunch. He said rarely are there problems. 
He says about five times a season, there's a player he'd like to strangle. And I think he said this on the live show, too. You know, our, our live stream one. He said they, they're there for the wrong reason and they want to be a hoot. They want to show how clever they are and they don't care about the show. And he said, and they usually win. So he never roots for them. He never roots for players, even if he feels a player is warm mm-hmm. and, um, and he has a connection with them. So, um, so he says that they're premiering, um, oh, Premiering on Disney Plus on October 8th, so this is in the future, is Muppet's Haunted Mansion. And they showed his photo of Pat Sajak. He's in the cast as a singing bust portrait. And we've probably all seen that by now. He said, um, he said the most misunderstood strategy in Wheel of Fortune is that people don't buy vowels. Also, if they listen to Pat, he will give them cues as to what to do. But sometimes they don't listen to Pat, so they miss those cues. Hmm. <laughs> and so that was pretty much yeah. it for um, that panel. Okay, and you know what? I think we'll end with that Pat Sajak panel, because there's three more panels that I attended. And I think rather than rushing through those, because they were big panels with Jason Sorrell and Tony Baxter and Kat Cressida and Tom Morris, those are, they were filled with information. So I think we will save those for another episode so that you can sit back and savor those. So, but now it's time to take a look at this week in Disney history. right we're going to start out on november 7th so craig what ran for the last time at disney california adventure on november 7th 2018 2018 um i think that was probably paint the night you're right. It has been three long years since that parade ran. Yeah. And yet we are, they somehow are using duct tape and chicken wire to put together Main Street Electrical Parade <laughs> and roll it out again. I, and so. <laughs> yeah. And I know it has to deal with the 50th anniversary yes. of that parade too, but. I don't, the fact is, this is now the second time that Paint the Night has gone through an extended hiatus. Um, something tells me that, like, maybe there's, there's problems with some of the floats for that show. That's the only thing that I can I think, think it's of. money. I think it's all about money. They can have a nighttime parade at both parks. And for the amount of money they're charging for these magic keys that you can't get reservations for, and the, I'm starting to sound like Rhino. And then, and in significant increases to ticket prices at Disneyland, they can afford a nighttime parade at each park. So, especially with no, they don't have the expense of Fantasmic. They don't have the expense of World of Color right now. They barely have an expense of, are they even doing fireworks? So, I mean, they're not doing full-blown parties, but they're sure charging through the nose for them. Yeah. Um, they can, they can run both of these. There's no daytime parades. So, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I'm, for- I'm very critical <laughs> of what's going on right now. So, but we have to find the magic where we can. <laughs> so. All right. November 8th. Although running since September, which attraction had its official opening in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World on November 8th, 1980? Hmm, 1980. I want to say, uh, this is going to be a guess. I'm going to say Big Thunder. That's absolutely right. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. A mine train roller coaster located in Frontierland. It is the second version since a Big Thunder Mountain Railroad attraction opened at Disneyland in 1979. Okay. November 9th. What attraction closed at Disneyland on November 9th, 1994 and the Magic Kingdom on November 9th, 1999? Well, that would make it have to be something that is the same in both parks. That's and correct. The only thing that's coming uh, to my mind on it is the uh, Skyway. That's right, the Skyway. So, okay, you're doing well. Okay, let's take a look at November 10th. The most famous unknown composer of the 20th century was born in Missouri on November 10th, 1891. Was working as the house organist at the Isis Movie Theater in Kansas City, he came to the attention of Walt Disney and was hired as a musical director for Walt's fledgling animation company, scoring two of the first three Mickey Mouse cartoons, Playing Crazy and The Galloping Gaucho, and later many of the Silly Symphony shorts. Starting in 1936, he will work for Warner Brothers, writing music for Looney Tunes shorts for more than 21 years. What is the name of this composer? I'm sure I will know it as soon as you say it, but it's not in my brain right now. Carl W. Stalling. Mm, yep, yep, yeah. yeah. I thought maybe the Looney Tunes you might think of him. So yeah. I know you're a big fan. I, I can literally picture it on, you know, all the all the title cards the credit cards mm-hmm. but i just was one of those things i could not it was a little bit blurry until you said it <laughs> yeah so okay november 11th on november 11th 2009 oscar organizers announce that a record 20 animated films have been submitted for academy awards which four disney films are vying for the 2009 best animated feature film award I can give you two for sure. I know that would have been the year for Up. That's one. It would have also been Princess and the Frog. That's two. But I don't. There's one we hate, <laughs> even though it's a Christmas film. Huh. Um. I'm not sure. Disney's A Christmas Carol. Oh, I mean, I guess that would be animated, since it was a weird Robert Zemeckis uh, capture style. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't, I didn't really think about that with with animated though, because you know there are actors who are performing it all. But um, well, what's the other one? Tinkerbell and the Lost Treasure. Oh, please! <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see that. I didn't see it, nor I can't believe that they wanted it to get 
an academy i I mean they knew they knew it was either up to up or princess and the frog and probably mostly up to up but yeah yeah and the oscars for 2009 were given out on march 7th 2010 so okay november 12th what well-known actor spent November 12th, 1939 at the Walt Disney Studios posing for animators as the model for the demon Chernabog in the Night on Bald Mountain segment of Fantasia? I'm not sure. Actor Bella Lugosi, best known for his Dracula roles. Oh, wow. However, Bill Titla, the animator in charge of Chernabog, who's my favorite... Um, Disney villain, will later be dissatisfied with Lugosi's performance, and will have a sequence director, Wilfred Jackson, pose for the camera. Thus, it will be Jackson, not Lugosi, who appears on screen as Chernabog. Although, you know, when you watch Chernabog, I still think there's some Bella Lugosi in there. Yeah, a a little bit, definitely kind of in the face. Using the wings... Yeah, oh, see, no. I yeah, in the face, yeah. I can, I in my head, I believe that he, they ignored a lot of what he did with his arms because I, as much as I think about Bella Lugosi for Dracula and some of the other monster movies he was in, I also have his performance in Ed Wood movies like fried into my brain, and <laughs> uh, yeah, I I can see I can see him being you know kind of getting it wrong <laughs> what disney <laughs> wanted from him but i i see it in i see it in the face with him kind of in a mm-hmm. way it's that yeah. the way he tilts his head and such mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i think the way he sort of holds up a wing at one time reminds me of how he holds up his cape dracula to hide his face yeah almost like when you know dracula only has one one arm in front of him kind of his yeah. turn of bugs and unveiling himself i I see parts of that in there too yeah yeah okay and finally november 13th to help celebrate mickey mouse's 50th birthday a special amtrak train left los angeles on november 13th 1978 for a five-day trip to new york the train carried mickey mouse and which veteran disney animator um I'm going to guess with this. Uh, I'm actually, I don't, I don't know. I'm not even going to guess. <laughs> Ward Kimball. Oh, who loved trains? He must have had a grand time being on a train for five days. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. He was also who, not who I was going to guess, but it's it's fine. We don't. We're okay. we're past that now. <laughs> All right. Well, not a bad week there. So, Craig, how was your Halloween? Well, it sounds like you ate a lot. Yes. Did you get any trick-or-treaters or anything? Yeah, we had, we had a, a decent year with it. Um, I, I think we still had about our normal amount, but it came in the weirdest clumps. Like, we would have maybe two people and then another group and then no one. And then it would be like 30 people all in a row. And, uh, you know, I, you know it's it kind of gets stressful and because you want to, you want to space it out and you want to make sure you get to, to see everyone's costume and appreciate it. Not just like, okay, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Uh, but it's the lots of cute costumes and had friends and family over. So it was a real nice time. Mm-hmm. 
How was yours? Yeah, we had a good time. It it lasted a while. My granddaughter visited. We kept working on our Steamboat Willie Lego set. Ran into a glitch. I can't quite figure out how to put the smokestacks on when you have to extend them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I might need some advice from someone out there who's built that kit. And only one of our smokestacks goes up and down. So we didn't have time to finish it. But then um on our court had like a two day event where and I I went to a Halloween party with friends because October thirtieth was Carol's birthday, so I spent it with some of our friends and all that in Livermore, and we had a great time there. It was a lot of fun, and uh, but then on the court they we started a new tradition that I wasn't here for, where got pumpkins and all the little ones on the court. We did pumpkin carving, and then they were all out in front of houses for Halloween, all the jack-o'-lanterns and all that. And there were treats the families brought out to share for both a, a, and a adult as well as children's beverages and stuff like that. So that's now our new, another new tradition we have on the court. And then on Halloween, we have a huge potluck and people bring out their portable, you know, um, fires and all that stuff, grills and everything so that we can stay warm. And it started out really slow. So we had a huge spread. I mean, there was food left over and all that. And so um, some families, they'll put decorated tables out in front of their homes. So children were very good, with the exception of one boy. The children are very good about just taking one piece of candy or two as they went around. But I I posted decora- uh, my decorations on Facebook. I go up to the door because walking up to my door is an experience with some uh, sound effects. And this is Halloween playing continuously from Nightmare Before Christmas and all of that stuff. So... um the children want to walk up the door. The one year I wasn't here on Halloween, and neighbors said all the trick or treaters are disappointed. So, uh, which is nice. So we it started out really slow, and then it picked up where it was just wave after wave of trick or treaters, and then finally, I don't know about a little after eight eight thirty, it died down, and no one was coming around. So I um I started packing. We all started packing up. And I said, I always take down the decorations so that the next morning there's no trace of Halloween in front of my house. And I, um, so as I was open, I opened the garage door, I was taking things down. A group of teenagers came through and they were all in costume, like makeup and all of that. And I have no problem with teenagers coming through because I thought they could be getting in a lot of trouble on Halloween. And if Mm -hmm. they're in costume and all that, getting candy, I thought, that is fine with me. And they're respectful and, and everything. One boy was, young man, was dressed up as the Riddler, the Joker. Oh, my gosh. Was he into his role? <laughs> um, he, he, the way he walked was like how Joaquin Phoenix walked in that role. And he gave me this look. And I thought, okay, you're, I, I don't know if you're trying out for a movie or what. But he had it down. And he was my last trick-or-treater of the night, but uh, he he was to be applauded for how he pulled it off and all that. So it was fun, but I was exhausted. Yeah. And then the next day I'm packing everything up and um because I took the next day off and I'm packing everything up and then of course it starts raining. <laughs> oh no, so, not again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it wasn't bad. But um and then I watched Coco. I took your advice November first I watched Coco. So 
and enjoyed a margarita and chips and salsa. (laughs) I I think it's just a nice way to to really – to move away from Halloween because it's uh-huh. just like right it it happens to fall over the holiday and it's it just has that right amount of kind of Halloween spirit still to it as well but uh is not not just about that but more about the family and I guess that's why part of why it works so well at releasing during Thanksgiving when it, it came out all those years ago now um it's it's a nice it's a nice film to watch for that time of year while yeah, you're all starting to get together thinking about how uh, you know all the things you have to be grateful for yeah yeah so are you all set for you know going to have a big party on friday november 12th for disney plus day i unfortunately i will not be in town for that i will be uh, i'll be traveling as part of my uh, my anniversary with uh, ah. Kylie celebrating six years together. Congratulations. Well, six years of marriage. We've been together longer than that. But um. uh, yeah, no, it's I, I, I will be putting everything on Disney Plus on pause for the 12th. But oh, I'll, okay. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm bummed out, as I think we mentioned before on one. Bummed out that I won't be able to watch Home Sweet Home Alone right on I, the day that it premieres. I don't think we talked about it because I would have told you that out of one of the most unnecessary remakes <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. So, the most necessary, anyway. I think you meant to say, but no, no, no. <laughs> no it's a, My children it's be are awful. big fans of the original. It looks awful. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, I'm sure the, the children and all the actors are great, but it's why? Why? It's not like the original was in black and white. You know, and starred Buster Keaton or somebody. I mean, Macaulay Culkin's film holds up just fine. Yeah. I um, think that, you know, I think they have a lot of faith in the kid. Um, He's the, not the lead, but the best friend in Jojo Rabbit. That's what I've heard. And he was fantastic in that, in his comedic timing was great so i feel like whoever is producing home sweet home alone it probably felt like the same way as you know as they did with macaulay culkin like leading up to to home alone with uncle buck and you know just uh, uh, other little things and they kind of they kind of spotted something in him that maybe they think they can reboot this even further and but, yeah, rather than doing something new and creative they just had to reach anyway yeah i uh, <laughs> Yeah, anyway. And then, of course, Jungle Cruise is going to be available to all Disney Plus subscribers. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And of course, the streaming premiere of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So I'm glad that'll be available to watch because I like that film. And then one that I think is going to be really cute Olaf Presents, you know, Olaf retelling several Disney stories. In his unique way, yeah. like he did at the end of Frozen 2. I think that'll be cute. Yeah, it, it has the potential to be very cute. I'll yeah. say that. Because, I mean, that was, if not the highlight of Frozen 2, then one of the best parts. So, uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that this will yeah. be enjoyable and it won't just kind of become stale and and take away what was special about it in Frozen yeah, 2. I hope not. I know, because I don't want them to... St- you do so much of Olaf and all that that they just sort of 
you know, make him. Yeah. We're sick of him. You yes, know, exactly. Like the, the, the song, let it go. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, a lot of, of shorts in the Walt Disney animated studios are getting released to Disney plus. So that's exciting and all that. And another, um, uh, a, a short Chow Alberto from that's based on the film Luca that I really liked. I think I liked it more than you did, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes, but I, did. I liked that film, so I'm looking forward to that. Somehow the Simpsons are doing a mashup with Disney. It's and- kind. Of, I mean, it's technically the third one now, maybe fourth one. Because yeah, I saw the first one with Maggie, and I missed the second one with Bart and Loki. So yeah. I've got to find that one again. Yeah, they're it's they're cute. I they just they must be easy to animate and get ready because they are. Uh, you know, back in the day, The Simpsons took, I believe it was like over a year for every episode, and uh, so that's why like anything super timely didn't actually make it onto the show until until the following year. But for for these shorts, I feel like. I feel like they're not given a lot of notice, but they still put together a, a really nice product with them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I don't, this I, one is, it is a stranger concept than the other ones that <laughs> better ties in than just well, Disney plus. <laughs> they should, they released, uh, I don't know. It was a still, it looks like, looks like, um, Goofy and uh, Homer, Homer and together. Goofy yeah. sort of commiserating yeah. <laughs> in a bar. <laughs> so I'm not too sure what that was about. So, and then I'm a series I'm happy is coming back is The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Me too. Yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah, I'm really glad about that. And then, of course, there's a they're going to have a special celebrating um, Boba Fett. Because I guess confusing. as we get ready for that series, but it's yeah. not the series. So I hope it's not. Remember they did those goofy retellings of all the Marvel characters, and it was just these snippets that didn't really tell you anything about the origins of the Marvel characters. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be that though. I think this is going to be more on the line of, you know, what they do with I, what's Marvels is assembled, and then uh, the Star Wars has had them too. I think that it's. I, I think that this one is is not going to stick to that that vague type of preview of here's why these characters are important. Uh, but I do think they're going to do that to an extent with Boba Fett because, you know, uh, the classic thing about Boba Fett from Empire and then uh, and then after that Return of the Jedi is in in Empire Strikes Back, he's barely in it. And then in Return of the Jedi, uh, spoiler alert, he goes into the Sarlacc pit very, very quickly. You know, which yeah. now we know, <laughs> now we know he did not die. Uh, but I- I'm assuming it's going to be a bigger, greater documentary where it starts in with who's Boba Fett? Well, who was Django Fett before him? And, you know, what's then the little preview of, and this is what we need to expect from uh boba fett now that he's back in the mandalorian and now in his own show so you know there it it definitely besides bringing in the lore of of the prequel movies with Django fett and technically he's in it as a young kid as well too um unless they really go into all that and try to find something else 
he's a character that doesn't have a lot of prominence. So mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to see how they make a full a documentary about it. But, I, you know, maybe it'll only be like 30 minutes. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But um, and then they're going to have other supposedly fan celebration events, news and trailers and exclusive content and stuff. So it'll be interesting. What else is going on? Why they don't do it on a weekend rather than a day we're all at work? I have absolutely no idea. But um, anyway, but I know the big highlight for you. I'm disappointed first that we're seeing less and less of classics being released to Disney Plus. Seems like they sort of abandoned that. We have our whole library and our whole vault of stuff. Well, they don't seem to be, they seem to have lost the combination to that vault. Um, because they're sure not bringing things out of it very often anymore, except uh, I know November 26th, I know you're boarding the dogs and taking the phones off the hook because Ernest Saves Christmas is debuting on Disney Plus. Oh, oh I am. I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I haven't had the chance to watch it in a couple of years. It used to be on Netflix, but then they, they pulled it off. So it's been a couple of years since I've watched it. I didn't see it until I was an adult and neither did I, <laughs> but I, I almost appreciate that because as a kid, I would probably think it's a goofy slapstick comedy. And then as an adult, it was like there, <laughs> there are part. I, I've watched many Ernest movies now, most of his movies, and uh, it, it is just, it is so bizarre. It is so, <laughs> there is something so weird about all of them, but uh, the Christmas one is my absolute favorite, and, you know, the fact that it was filmed around downtown Orlando, and then also uh, on on the uh, lot of the Disney MGM Studios back then, you know, I I appreciate it. It's not it's not a vault movie like you say, at least in terms of the fifties, sixties, seventies, but uh, it is a gem, and I hope everyone watches it. Yeah, but the funny thing about Ernest is is that he got his start here, out here in the Sacramento area, doing commercials for a local dealer car dealership, yeah. and then. That must have been some contract because after he made it big out here, he was still doing the local commercials. And I thought, I thought good, good for whomever wrote up that deal because he, he kept doing them until he was no longer able to do them anymore. And because he passed. But I thought it was sort of funny to see him still doing those with Vern. Hey, Vern, there's a big sale at whomever it was. I don't think the dealership is around anymore because I think the owner passed away. But, um, you know, anyway, (laughs) it sounds similar to I I listened to it a long, long time ago. It was on Conan O'Brien's podcast. Uh, The reason that Shaquille O'Neal does all the general car insurance commercials is Mm -hmm. because he said on that podcast when he first got his driver's license and got his car and he tried to get insurance, every single place turned him down except the general. So even though he doesn't use them now, uh, he still has never forgotten that when he was a young driver who just needed to get that insurance so he could hit the road. Uh, well, and maybe this dealership gave him his start. Exactly. I'm so sure that's, that's kind of what I, I think about it is maybe it just – 
it allowed him to step into that role in uh, in a bigger way and thrust him even further forward. So maybe it's one of those things he said, oh, yeah, you, you kind of launched this, so of course I'm going to keep doing it for you. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. We, we had Ernest up in our neighborhood. So anyway, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Disney Plus Day. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's a huge month for Disney Plus. I know as you just said, and I just lamented on too, uh, that it would be great to have classic stuff. But uh, beyond that, uh, the big thing is at the end of the month, uh, debuting over three nights on uh, Thanksgiving, uh, they're having the Beatles Get Back documentary by Peter Jackson. Jackson. Yep, I'm Um, looking forward to that. Yeah, that's, that's going to be huge. I am so excited. I still, I'm waiting to get the book until closer. Uh, that goes along with it all, but uh, just it's nice to have something that feels new for the Beatles instead mm-hmm. of just constant re-releases uh, over and over again. Uh, but I'm also excited too. On uh, Friday the 26th, they are bringing over finally the Duck the Halls uh, Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. special, which uh, they brought over the Halloween one as well. Uh, you know over halloween time it was finally added disney plus but for the first two years it just it wasn't on there but uh these 30 minute specials with the featuring the new mickey mouse style and such they were over on the the old disney app that they used to have and that was the only way you could watch them and they're they're both really good so if you haven't watched the halloween one I'd say go back and watch that, even though we're past it, just yeah. to just to see it or have it at the top of your list for next year. Yeah. And the Christmas one isn't as good, uh, but it's it's also really really special. Um, and then, uh, of course, I know you'll be watching Muppets Christmas Letters to Santa on November nineteenth, along <laughs> yeah. with the Pixar. St- well, I like the Muppets. Actually, I've watched this. I don't think this is their strongest Christmas special. I like yeah, letters yeah. to Santa, um, but the Pixar story and Adventures Through the Walt Disney Archives also debuts on that day. Yeah, I figured you'd be watching Puppy for Hanukkah. No, also comes out that day. No, I mean I probably will watch it because I think it David Diggs has something to do with it. But uh, I yeah I'm I'm excited for the Adventure Through Walt Disney Archives. I really loved it when they, you know, we that was a D twenty three Gold Member event. Mm-hmm. that we could watch it but because of the way you had to stream it uh, like through the internet and i had to watch it i think stream it through my phone to my apple tv and the quality just wasn't that great um I- i'm excited to watch it <laughs> better yeah, more yeah, pleasant too. condition uh but they, yeah and then of course hawkeye is going to kick off in november and yes I'm marvel's first, to that marvel's first christmas special in a way that way I I guess you could argue. A very Hawkeye Christmas. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it takes place over the holiday season, so Mm. it's perfect. But I think Iron Man 3 does as well, if I'm remembering correctly on that. Yeah, well, I hope the last um, D23 Gold Members event on the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World gets over to Disney Plus because I forgot to watch it. (laughs) That makes two of us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, Oh, but speaking of that, I think when we were talking in our pre-show, chat um that my finally what my book Walt disney world's 50th anniversary the big five pound book or whatever it is arrived yesterday on november 1st so i was very excited about that 
Yes. You will have reading material for many months. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? And as always, you can find me on all the different shows I'm on, on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network. And then you can also find me on on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster. But what about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling that is. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.